Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Why don't we go to Luke chapter 24? I want to read just two scriptures up front. Two scriptures. Two scriptures. The first is Luke 24 and verse 8. Look at this. And they remembered his words. And then Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us? while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us. I want to teach a message to you today titled Discipleship, Heart Burn. Discipleship, Heart Burn. Let me pray. Father of light, in the powerful name of Jesus, I just ask that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to become conscious, to become aware in this moment that you are here with us. That we would be able to gaze upon the beauty of your holiness, that the fact that there is none like you. That many hearts that have been searching and seeking that they would come to find rest and satisfied in you alone. We thank you, Lord, that you build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We thank you for what you're going to do this month. It's we're united by the core. That it would not just be things we hear, that, but by your very finger, by your very Holy Spirit, you would write values upon our heart from the inside out. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus. For this we give you praise. Amen. You know, I sat down in my home office and began to write this message and sat down in my desk chair. And as I began to type, I heard a light metal click. I thought, that's interesting. What what was that? So I stopped and I began to look down and look around. And as I did, I found a single screw that had fallen and came loose from my desk chair and had fallen on the floor. You know what's interesting about that screw? Is that when you look at that screw, it seems so little compared to the overall size of the chair. And yet it is one of several that hold the chair together. I need us to understand today and this morning that chair screws are like core values. That as a community of followers of Jesus Christ who live for His mission, not our own, that we are united by core values and we will stay united by core values. That we truly, as a community of followers of Jesus Christ, we truly are united by the core. That just as the chair screws provide me with the confidence in what will take place as I sit in the chair, core values provide us with the confidence that as I'm a part of what God's doing in this community, what I can expect. That just as the screws, though they seem little, they don't seem so important, and yet they provide the ability for me to sit down and rest. Likewise, so our core values provide us the ability to rest in knowing what we're about. To rest knowing what we as a community, what we major on, 
that what we as a community can rest in knowing that ultimately behind each and every decision, behind each and every season, we are united by core values. We can rest in that. You know, there will be times where you'll maybe see me do something or something to take place in this community or maybe another leader. Or, and you might wonder, say, you know what, maybe I would do that a little different. That's the reality of all of us being different, right? But what core values enable us to do is that when we see minor things that we might be different, we can rest assured in our heart that we know we're still united about the major things about the core values. See, I can rest in knowing that though me and Pastor Craig disagree on not just football, but also basketball, that when words of blasphemy pour forth out of his eloquence mouth, that though we might disagree on some minor things, we're still united in the major things. That is the power of core values like the power of those chair screws that allow that chair to fulfill its purpose. You know, as you see, we have four what we call anchor values in this community. They're anchor values that unite us. They're anchor values that stabilize us as we move forward on the mission and the journey of what Jesus Christ, the head of His church and the head of this church, that He leads us in. They keep us anchored in the main things. They keep us anchored in the things that we cannot overlook. They keep us anchored in the things that we cannot fail in. They keep us anchored in the things that we cannot be distracted from. These four anchor values are worship, discipleship, fellowship, and stewardship. Why don't you say that with me? Worship, discipleship, fellowship, and stewardship. Today we're going to look together at the anchor value of discipleship. See, we are a community that makes decisions anchored in and for the value of discipleship. What's interesting is for us to be a community that is not just for discipleship, but that makes decisions based on discipleship, that for there to be such a community, I personally must make decisions in life that are anchored in and for the value of discipleship. Not just must I make decisions based on what is for discipleship, but you must also base decisions on the value of discipleship for us to be a community that actually is united in basing decisions in and on the value of discipleship. See, this is a community. It's not something that is automated. It's not something that is mechanical. It's a living, breathing, organic community made up of the members of the body of Christ, you and I. So it leads us to the first question this morning is, what is discipleship? Well, first, the actual word discipleship is not in Scripture, not in the oracles of God, but the word disciple that makes up the majority of the word discipleship is. In fact, it's not just in there sometimes. It is a major presence in the New Testament letters and the gospel account of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In fact, the Greek word for disciple you'll find in the New Testament 252 times. Let me just tell you, compared to other words, that's, the lot of, that's a lot of use that this word for disciple gets. But the word discipleship is a noun, meaning discipleship is related to the state of being a disciple. So when we talk about the value of discipleship, we're talking about the state of being a disciple, which then leads us to our second question this morning. What is a disciple? The definition, the Greek word, means a learner. It means a student. It means a follower of another. 
So discipleship is the state of being a learner. Discipleship is the state of being a student. Some of you say, oh, dear God. I mean, some of you almost went back to your Catholic roots and prayed to Hail Mary right there. The state of a learner, man, I thought after I finished high school that I was done. Some of you, I thought I find, when I continued and finished college, my undergraduate, I was done. For those minority, <laughs> for those who said, when I finished my master's, I thought finally my learning is done. No. No. Discipleship is the state of being a student, being a learner, and the state of following another. You say, well, a learner of who, Pastor Chad? A student of who? A follower of who? Of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. I need to tell us up front today that we can follow him today. That we can still follow the risen Jesus Christ because he is risen and he is alive. That we can actually follow him. We can actually hear from him. We can actually be led of him. We can actually be empowered for him because we don't serve a king that is just of history and dead in the bygones of time. We serve a king that is alive, that is present, that is all powerful, that is always present, that is here in our midst. He's living. He's expressing and revealing himself through his word. He's revealing and expressing himself through scripture, through his spirit, through his body, and through individual members of the body of Christ. We read in Luke chapter 24 of an account of his resurrection and ongoing discipleship taking place. Read it with me. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, that being a Sunday, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Notice that. That behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Two keys you see here about discipleship and what today we're calling heartburn discipleship is the first is you have to have some perplexity in your life. You got to have some curiosity in your life. That you got to have some context and you got to have some circumstances and you got to have some seasons and you got to have some moments where there's a perplexity, there's a tension, there's a curiosity in your life to get heartburn discipleship. Another thing you see is that discipleship that leads to a heartburn is ultimately about learning to stop seeking for life among dead things. Oh man, come on. Is that not what the heart of discipleship ultimately is about is that we would stop seeking to find life and satisfaction and true joy and true sense of living and being alive in things that are dead in this world. Notice the question. He says, why do you seek living among the dead? Discipleship is the training or the unlearning of stop seeking to find life in dead places, in dead relationships, in dead things, in dead things of this world. Then look at verse 6. They say, He is not here, but is risen. Remember how He spoke to you when He was still in Galilee? Here's the next cue. Is discipleship and heartburn. The key is going to be learning to remember. He says, remember when he was with you, when you were still in Galilee with him, that he spoke to you? 
Verse 7, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Some of you here, they say, Oh, I wish third day would rise again. <laughs> I, I wish third day would come out of retirement right here in Atlanta again. Well, you never know. You never know. But no, this is three actual days. Look at verse 8. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, it was Joanna, it was Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Look at this, verse 11. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, fairy tales, Hansel and Gretel, Pocahontas, like idle tales. And they did not believe them. Verse 12, But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Notice that. And they remembered his words. Let me tell you to get heartburn discipleship. You have to get the words of Jesus. You can't get the words just of tradition and you can't just get the words of religion or the words of a denomination. It might come through a denomination. It might come through another. But we have to get the words of Jesus, the living and resurrected king. So notice here in our text the story that here goes this group of women. They have prepared spices in the burial of Jesus, they arrive there. The stone is already rolled away. They're perplexed. They're curious. They're trying to figure out in the moment of their experience what has happened, what is happening. And it's in this perplexity and curiosity and in this sense of being in a state of being in balance because what they prepared for is no longer happening. What they prepared for is no longer an option. Anybody know what I'm talking about before? You ever found yourself in a place that you prepared to serve God in a way? Are you prepared to take a certain path? Or you had made some preparations and yet you find yourself now in a moment that what you were prepared for doesn't seem possible. What you prepared for is no longer practical. There's, there's no wrapping a body in spices when there's no body. And yet they begin to wonder and they begin to think to themselves and two men suddenly appear, shining. We know these men to be angels. And they say, hey, why do you seek the living among the dead? Remember how he spoke to you. Notice that. Angels point them back to what God has already said. Angels point them back to Jesus and what he said. Ain't that amazing? Many people, you know, when I came to what we'd call a spirit-filled life and understanding a understanding of all of Jesus and all of Scripture, you know, I, I had this impure motivation and desire for supernatural things. Some of that because I'm coming out of occult-type experiences through drugs and, uh, and, and substance abuse, and I'm very aware of the supernatural. So now that I'm aware that Jesus is greater than the things I experience, I, I had this impure desire for supernatural things. But listen to me. Some of you might want to have visitation from angels and, and have visions and dreams and supernatural things, but I'm going to tell you what it's all going to point back to. It's all going to point back to, to the words of what Jesus has already said. It's going to point back to what Jesus has already accomplished because the words of prophecy is always the testimony of Jesus. He points them back. Remember he spoke to you? Now, what does this mean for you and I here today? It means first that disciples have in their time of following Jesus heard his words. Jesus made it clear in John 10, my sheep, they hear my voice. What it means is if you're not just a believer, but you're a follower of Jesus, you're actually following him. That you're actually talking with him and 
fellowshipping with Him as you go through life. That you're not waiting for heaven, but the King of heaven has come to live on the inside of you. That as you follow Him, if you're a disciple, you've heard words from Him. You've heard words from Him. Because notice the angel says, remember He spoke to you. Listen, there can't be remembrance without ever receiving. So often we're looking for a new word because we find ourselves unprepared for a new experience. They were prepared. They thought they knew exactly how their Sunday morning was going to go. Boy, I wish some of how we thought this gathering was going to go today would change. That the Holy Spirit would ignite our consciousness and our hearts and He would say, remember back what He spoke to you and it would become so alive to us. So alive, so real. But there's no remembrance without ever receiving. Let me ask you, where and when are you receiving His words? Sure, yes, here in the gathering, but this is more to, if you're growing and following Him, to affirm and confirm what He's already saying to you. That this would be an expression of what these ladies have expressed to them by the angels. This platform, this moment of gathering together as a family would just be us saying, remember what He's already spoken to your heart. Remember what He's already promised about your future. In the midst of your circumstance, in the midst of your journey, in the midst of what you're learning, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your stress, remember the words of Jesus to you. Remember His words. But listen, I need us to understand and it's very important for us to understand that these words and they remembered His words, these words were not words that He said to the multitudes. These words that the angel points them back to and the words that they remember are not words that Jesus spoke to the crowds. These are words he said to his core. These are words that he said to his crew. These are words that he said to his disciples. These are words that he said to those who were following him. See, listen, the crowd's got parables and types. Like the Son of Man will be like Jonah. We can look back on that and we get clarity. They are thinking, what in the world? It sounds like fairy tales. It'd be like saying, in heaven, you're going to be like Peter Pan and fly. It sounds like fairy tales. But the disciples got clear words from Jesus in a different context that the crowd didn't have access to. The Bible was clear. Jesus would get them and he would group with them in homes and he would begin to explain to them. And they would get clear words like, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of people and crucified. They'd get clear words. See, listen, because discipleship is a core value. It's a core value of Jesus and what we see in Scripture. Our discipleship informs what we do as a community. That's why we have a different context than just what happens here on Sundays when we gather. We have a context that will start this Thursday when we grow together in growth phases. And it's in this context that that it provides opportunities for Jesus to bring clarity and understanding to us and, and have things answered that this context of preaching and teaching from a pulpit won't allow. Are you in growth phases? If not, now's your chance. Maybe you've been through growth phases and you've received the words and yet you're finding yourself like Mary and the other ladies that you thought you were prepared for what was going to happen and what came next in the season of falling Jesus and yet you're finding yourself puzzled, perplexed. We'll look at this next. Verse 11 says, And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. What happens? The women's heart begins to burn. 
based off of now how they remembered the words of what Jesus said, but how they just learned to apply it practically in the moment of what they're experiencing. And it causes their heart to begin to burn. They begin to have a passion of burning of the Spirit. And they run and they begin to tell the apostles and the others what their heart is now burning in. That the words that all have heard, they're real. They're practical. That they apply to this moment. What moment? This is a moment of great confusion for all of them. This is a moment where their hopes seem to be shattered. This is a moment where the world seems to be flipped upside down in not a good way, in a bad way, because the ones that they were following is, has died. And yet they go back and tell them, but notice when they tell them, what does it say? That the words seem like idle tales to them. What does this mean for you and I? It means, listen, it's, it seems the words of Jesus seem like nonsense to the stagnant. That's what you, under, what you will learn from here. See, the stagnant, they are stagnant now because of them, their their fear, their unsure of what's going to happen in the future has paralyzed them. It's immobilized them. One of our core values under these anchor values is mobilizing believers. Believers get immobilized when they get paralyzed by fear or paralyzed by not understanding and forgetting the words of what Jesus has already told you before you find yourself in a storm. Find yourself in a dark place. Find yourself in a place like a cocoon where a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. You find yourself in that place, but to them it seems like idle tales. Why? Because they're stagnant. But to those who were at the tomb, to those that were moving forward in what they knew to do in that moment, see, listen, the women didn't freeze because of what they didn't know to do. The women moved because of what they did know to do. Here's the point. You say, but they were prepared to wrap the body in spices. They get there and there's not even a body. Listen, it's easier for Jesus to remind people of His words to them by the Spirit if they're moving than if they're not doing anything. It's easier to steal zeal without knowledge to become zeal with spiritual understanding than to get people that are stagnant with no zeal moving. What I'm telling you is that it's easier for the Spirit of God to remind you of what Jesus has said to you this morning because you moved and got here than those that are still sleeping or at home. See, I know because of some of our upbringing and maybe impure leadership or because of things that you went through. A lot of people think that pastors want people to come on Sunday for them. (laughs) Can I be quite honest with you? By the grace of God, I love my life. Meaning I'm joyful in Jesus. This is not for me. This is for we. That's why we want people here so that we all can journey on the mission and be united by the core. Now notice what's happening here. Yes, even to a person who is a believer, Peter, first one to confess, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But a stagnant follower in the moment, the words of Jesus and its Practical application to what's going on will seem like nonsense. Peter and the eleven, they're stagnant, but they're a believer, and yet what the women tell them sounds like idle tales to them. Have you ever been there? I know I was. I remember when I came to the, you know, surrendering to the Lord and the call of God in my life and you hear other believers say stuff to them and I remember there would because of my own dysfunction and my own turmoil and my own sanctification that needed to happen. I mean, I would get angry. I wanted to punch some of the mature saints in the face. Because what they said sounded like idle tales. What are you talking about? To just trust and obey. To be happy in Jesus? Like, no, that's not enough. I need this, I need that. I need a little of this and that to be happy in Jesus. 
it seemed like idle tales. Why? Because it will always to those that are stagnant and not moving forward and following Jesus. But listen, to the childlike in faith, they can believe in response to the testimony. Here, what do we find from Peter and the other 11? That they don't have a childlike faith. What is a characteristic of childlike faith? They trust easy. I mean, come on. A whole like society tells children, Santa Claus. Yeah, like someone that has more than enough sick fat goes down a real skinny chimney to everybody the entire world in one night. And they're like, yeah, woo, Santa, Easter bunny. Forget the fact that your family has, like, in North Georgia, a lot of guns and a lot of ammo. And some little Easter bunny big's going to hop through your house at night while you're sleeping and take your tooth? I was seeing if you were listening. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Here's the difference. You all don't have childlike faith anymore. See, you didn't trust me in that moment. It worked out great. Thank you, Lord. See, but as time goes on and life goes on in a fallen world, our sense to have childlike faith, to trust, easy, begins to be damaged. Here you see in Peter and them, they want to believe. They want to trust. But life has now happened. And that childlike faith, that childlike ability to trust quickly is removed. Some of you want to believe, but you got trust issues. Trust issues that's rooted in your childhood and in your experience. And notice at verse 12, it says, But Peter arose, ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he humbled himself. He saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. See, listen, some want to believe, but do nothing with what they hear. Here's the difference. Peter had the same trust issue that the others who heard in the moment didn't have the capacity for childlike faith, but Peter wanted to believe. Listen, I've been living life long enough. I know I look young, but I've been living long enough to know that there's many people who don't want to believe. See, atheism is also a whole structure of thought that's based on belief. It cannot be proven. Someone cannot prove that there is not a God. So it takes just as much faith in that than believing there is a God. So what you find is it's not that people can't believe, it's that they don't want to believe. But Peter represents a person who wants to believe. He's having a hard time believing. It sounds like idle tales. It sounds like it's not true. It sounds like how can Jesus really be king of over all of the nations and look what's going on? How does a person dying on a cross and shedding his blood, how does that have anything to do with my marriage and my business and, and my financial issues and my stress and my emotional mismanagement and my priorities and time management? How does that have anything to do with me? But Peter wants to believe. So listen, I found like Peter, those that want to believe act. Peter wants to believe, so he acts. What does he do? He acts on what he hurts. He runs to the tomb to see. See, I found it's very easy to, to stay as an unbeliever or to seek to disbelieve or to hide in atheism or hide in, well, it's just this is what I believe. It's very easy to do that without acting and getting involved in the claims of Christianity and the claims of Christ and the historical accuracy of Scripture and the prophetic fulfillment of, of many Scriptures, thousands and thousands of years foretold before the actual events. It's easy to disbelieve, but if you want to believe, why don't you be like Peter today? And why don't you run towards what others throughout history have testified? were those who said the Bible will 
not make it, and yet now the very place they lived is a museum to the Bible. Peter wants to believe, so he acts on it. He acts. He acts on it. See, listen, to those pursuing, they discover the reality of what once seemed like idle tales. To those that it's pursuing truth, pursuing Jesus, pursuing, they find out by practical experience that what used to seem too good to be true is true with a God that's only good. To those observing, they discover that the word of the king is the power to change things. That what Jesus said is the power to change present circumstances. They discover it. Peter, he runs, the other eleven don't, and he finds out that the words of Jesus in three days I'll arise. He finds those words to be powerful enough to change that circumstance of the tomb. See, listen. The words of what Jesus said in the past has the power to change the present. The the words that Jesus has spoken to you in the past has the power to change your present and is the type to be put forth towards all of us is death and none of us has even faced that type of issue. None of us have died. So the type put before us is there's nothing any of us are facing right now that's greater than the example God gave through the death of Jesus that His words that He spoke to your past has the power to change your present. Hallelujah. Now look at verse 13. Luke 24, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? Are you the only one not, you know, watching the Twitter feed? What's trending? And he said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us, and when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive, and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, watch this, and slow of heart to believe. It's interesting, ain't it? And all that the prophets have spoken are not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, He expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Here we see that the women have remembered His words. They come and they tell the disciples the words that they have been reminded of of what Jesus told them and foretold to them and what Scripture also foretold, enough that Peter wants to believe, so it initiates him to go and to to verify what it is they've testified. And now you have these two disciples walking together and now they're wondering. See, for discipleship, you have to get the words of Jesus. You have to know what Jesus said. You have to know what Jesus has done for you. But having the words is not enough. That's what we learn about discipleship. There has to be a wondering about what Jesus has said. There has to be a wrestling with what Jesus has said. Here we see Jesus. He begins to walk with these two men. They're unaware that it's Him. And 
He begins to use questions to get their wondering and get their marveling and get their curiosity and get them wrestling with the words and wrestling with the issues in their life and wrestling with what's happened. And then what do you see? You see that it is in conversing and reasoning with the knowledge we have and that we have heard that Jesus draws near. When you think about discipleship and heartburn discipleship, we find that it's in the conversing and talking about what He has said, what the Word of God, the Bible says, what we have heard Him say to our life and our heart in previous seasons, that it's in talking to others about it, it's in questioning those things, it's in the curiosity of those things that Jesus draws near. Draws near. And notice this conversing and this questioning and this wondering, this reasoning is to take place as we're going. The two, they're just walking on a seven-mile journey. It's like some of you, you superstars of DP, you runners out there, God, God bless you. You marathon trainers, God bless you. You're on a journey, you're running, you're on this journey of miles. It's in these common journeying that they're conversing about what Jesus said. What does that mean about what life is saying to you? What circumstances are saying? Listen, I love every one of you. But some of us, we've known each other long enough that my, I, my value of you is so high now, I don't want to just converse about the weather. I want to converse with you about what Jesus has said to you. And what has He said to you about what you're going through? I mean, I love sports. I grew up playing sports. But for some of us, we know each other and I value too much to just want to talk about sports with you. I talk about sports with people at the bank I don't know to build a bridge. I talk about the weather and people at the bank that I don't know to build a bridge. We already have a bridge built. We're a part of this community together and it's in us conversing and wondering and questioning what Jesus said and what the Word says about what we're facing that Jesus will draw near not just to you but to me and to us. To draw near. Discipleship of heartburn. See, the Old Testament framed it for us. He said, when you walk, talk about it. When you lie down, talk about what God says. When you eat, talk about what God says. Talk about it. Talk about it in the Old Testament frame, this way of life. Maybe your hopes, like these two men walking, are just that today. They're just hope. Hope will keep you going, but hope won't bring the fulfillment of what you hope for. Only faith will do that. And maybe your hopes are just that. They're still hopes because, listen, maybe today you've stopped conversing and reasoning with the knowledge of God's Word that can make what seems astonishing become real and experiential in your life. Maybe your hopes are still hopes because you've stopped conversing with more mature disciples that can fill you in on what you're missing, what you're lacking, where you're not established in the faith, where you're not perfected in the faith, or what you're not perceiving. Maybe so. See, our core value of discipleship informs our strategy and what we do. And because we value discipleship, part of our strategy is that we would group together. That in groups we could converse and we can reason about what Jesus has said. What Jesus is saying. And how does that intersect and apply to the darkness, to the wondering, to the questions, to the hurts, to the issues, to the circumstances that's coming up in my life. This is true discipleship. This is heartburn, not superficial. Getting to the heart of the issue. Or maybe for some of us, we're foolish for not believing in the prophetic word before we see it with our natural eyes. Jesus has spoken, Jesus has said it, and yet we've remained foolish by not believing the power of His words to change things until we see it. It's not faith, it's just hope. 
Maybe we're slow of heart to believe as Jesus tells them. Why are they slow of heart? Because they've already had the women's heartburn in part to them. They've had Peter's heartburn imparted to them. They've had the scriptures which has burned for thousands of years impart to them and yet they're still not believing. They're slow of heart to believe. Can I tell you that hurts make me slow of heart? Can I tell you that false hopes and shattered dreams and false expectations make Chad Craig slow to believe? And it's the same for you. But children are quick of heart, quick to believe. Listen, we are not ignorant because we don't have the capacity to know or to learn. We're ignorant because we cease conversing and reasoning with the knowledge we have. Now I want to tell us it's a character issue. It's a discipleship issue. Being distracted, listen, is not about the distractions. It's more about my character to be easily distracted. Character issues of laziness and entitlement and being susceptible to lies. Character issue of cease learning. And yes, I'm a believer, but I've I've ceased actually following Jesus. Cease hungering for more righteousness that we're... Exhorted to, we cease truly listening to learn. We cease thirsting for righteousness. We cease desiring. Comes the character issue. In fact, last night, before I went back to my office to work, we had family devotions, and uh, we were blessed by this book. It's been a blessing. We we got this. Somebody was getting rid of it, and we we took it so it didn't make it to the trash. It's been a blessing to our family. It walks you through different categories, but it's our family devotional. And we're on 223. It says, What is a lazy person? I mean, it was timely. You know what one of the points? Here it is. Listen. Lazy Christians do not work to learn more about God. Lazy Christians don't work, no effort to learn more about God. You know why Peter believed before the 11? Because he ran into, he used effort and passion to seek out what he heard and thought could only be idle tales. I want to tell you that people that are in this community that are further than you, it's not because they're smarter than you. Sometimes it's because they're less lazy than you and they're searching out to learn about Jesus and His words. They're diligent to study Jesus. Diligent to seek Jesus. Look at verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. He indicated he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us. He stays with them. They sit at the table. He took bread. He blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, here it is, did not our heart burn within? Within us. I don't want to burn just without. And not burn within. That's religion in a negative sense. I want to burn within did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us listen to me his words and our wondering equals heartburn this is how you stay on fire for God in fact that's what burn is there it's the light it's the fire Let me tell you, it's learning His words, discipleship. It's wondering about His words and how it applies to what you're going through, discipleship that leads to heartburn. Listen, you get healthy heartburn from the presence of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. You get healthy heartburn as you spend time with the Lord wrestling with His words, wondering about His will, wondering about His way. This is how you get healthy heartburn. It's not just how you get it, it's how you keep it. 
Listen, a first step is to open the Bible and read the Scriptures. But the next step is to have the presence of the Lord open your spiritual understanding regarding what you are reading. This leads to heartburn. Notice that they constrained His presence. Wow. You know, there's people that did the same to Paul because they saw real heartburn in him. Dork, uh, Lydia constrained him. Please stay. Jesus is being constrained by them. They're constraining His presence. What does this mean for us? Listen, it means God does not stay in work. He doesn't stay in work in a tangible, revealed way where He is not wanted and desired. Where He's not desired, He don't stay and show more of Himself. And I love churches and I love all the pastors and I love all my past and I love everyone in this community. But the truth of the matter is, is Jesus will stay in a greater way to a church and a people that constrains His presence. Says God, it's not enough to go to heaven one day. It's not enough just to know about you. God, I need to remember your words right in the midst of what I'm going through. I need to see that what you spoke to my past has the power to change my present. I need to be a burning one, not just on the outside, but a burning on the inside that there's a consistency. That when you see me, you know it's not me. There's a substance of the fire of God burning on the inside of me, empowering me to do what I can never do myself. And that's love God and love others. Burn. To burn. Listen, well, if he wants to do it, then I guess God will do it. That's been the spiritual poverty friend for millions of people. I bet if God wants to heal my heart, then he'll just do it. That's led to the spiritual poverty of millions. Oh, if God wants to reach this city, I guess he'll just do it. It's led to the spiritual poverty of millions of cities. Oh, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it spiritually. Poverty. Listen, you don't get healthy heartburn without learning through listening. You don't get healthy heartburn without conversing with other maturing disciples and learning to constrain the Lord's presence with you. I want to tell you that there's people, because I know because God's put it on my heart, you become lazy in constraining the presence of the Lord. And you've been wondering how long How long will the hurt stay? How long will the bondage stay? How long will this stay? And I'm telling you, you got to constrain the presence of the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm going to hunger for you and I'm going to put a demand on your goodness that you have to deal with these areas of my life. Listen, Robert Kiyosaki, he said, that's the most common form of laziness. Laziness by staying busy. Our culture's busy, and some of us are falling just like the culture. We're busy. You know why we're busy? Because we're lazy. What do you mean, lazy? Because it's easier for us to distract ourselves than to constrain the presence of the Lord and say, God, I'm not getting up from this fast. I'm not getting up from seeking you. I'm not going to stop getting up early and spending time with you day after day until your presence and your power changes what life is broken on the inside of me. Until your promise is not just a yes in my mind, but it becomes a yes in my heart, a yes in my soul, that my soul awakes to your presence, my soul awakes to your goodness, my soul begins to burn with true discipleship, being conformed into your image. I'm only where I'm at by the grace of God because of learning to constrain Him. Saying, oh God, I see myself in that person. I see myself in that leader. I see myself there. And God, I don't want to be like that. God, you got to touch me. You got to come real. And the words you spoke got to make it real in this moment. Many people stay busy because they're too lazy to constrain the Lord's presence to come and to heal our hearts. It's easier to busy ourselves and distract ourselves from what is more needful. It's interesting they had to eat with him to fully see. I believe that God has created eating for us on this earth because we won't have to eat in the kingdom. He created this rhythm to 
help us slow down and to begin to wrestle and begin to wonder to begin to talk about his words to us and what it means to what we're facing what's the practical application of his word to what you're wrestling with and going through then in the end we see verse 33 they rose up the very hour they returned to Jerusalem they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together they said indeed the Lord's risen indeed he appeared to Simon and they tell them the things that had happened on the road as they said these things watch this verse 36 Jesus himself stood in the midst of them said to them peace to you do you see how heartburn discipleship is a movement? Do you see how heartburn discipleship, how it multiplies? Do you see how heartburn discipleship grows? You had heartburn in Mary Magdalene, in the other Mary, in Joanna, in all of the women. And then it leads to a heartburn in Peter. And then the heartburn in them and the heartburn of Peter leads to a heartburn in the two disciples. Now they come back to those that are slow of heart the late adopters oftentimes late adopters are because they've been let down they've been hurt by life it comes back to them and as they tell them about their heartburn Jesus manifests himself to the many that's called multiplication Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said that Jesus appeared at one time to 500 I believe it's this moment there's at least 500 disciples here you go from some women to Peter plus two equals multitude 500. Jesus, this is witnessing a movement in multiplication. John Stott said every powerful movement has had its philosophy which has gripped the mind, fired the imagination, and captured the devotion of its adherents. Remember what I said in the beginning? We are a community that makes decisions anchored in and for the value of discipleship. For there to be such a community, I must make decisions in life anchored in and for the value of a heartburn type of discipleship. You must make decisions based on heartburn discipleship. Practically, it's like what the Old Testament showed it, where Jeremiah said, His words like a fire shut up in my bones. This is what we see the New Testament fulfillment. You've got to spend time learning His words, will help you in growth phases. You got to spend time wondering about his words and conversing and talking about it in groups and with other believers and more mature believers. And then that leads to our witnessing on a greater scale and the vision of this place and community coming to pass, which is manifesting Christ in many ways to many people. The more heartburn discipleship, the more people Christ can be manifested to. Are you a disciple of Jesus today? Are you still a learner today? How are you to learn? You're going to have to learn by listening to the words of Jesus in Scriptures. You're going to have to. You're going to have to learn by conversing with other mature disciples regarding Scripture's application to what you're going through. You're going to have to learn by use and practice of what it is you have learned. And lastly, to learn is to deny. To deny. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. What does that mean? Listen, you got to surrender what you know. Or better yet, you got to surrender what you think you know. Listen to me. If you already need, knew in the way you needed to know what you need to know about what you're going through, it would already be changed. Listen to me. If you already knew in the way you needed to know what you need to know about what you're going through, you would already figured it out. The fact that we haven't figured it out is the fact that we have to deny that surrender what we think we know in order to experience what Jesus knows. What Jesus has for your life, for my life. You know what also surrendering means? Surrendering talking all the time. You know what that also means for some of you? Surrendering being quiet all the time. Those that talk all the time need to listen to get His words 
in their heart and mouth. Those that are quiet all the time need to converse and talk about what they've been hearing so that other more mature believers can apply His words to what they're going through. Some of us need to surrender always walking alone. Some of us need to surrender excuses that keep us from following. Will you follow the Lord today through surrender? Will you continue to be a learner? Will you continue to be diligent in learning? Will you allow other more mature disciples to teach and invest in you? Will you observe what it is that you know Jesus has said? Do you know what Jesus thinks about worship? Do you know what Jesus thinks about fellowship? Do you know what Jesus thinks about stewardship? Well, guess what? We're going to look and learn the rest of this month. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.